VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, guys? Let's talk about our title sponsor, betonline.ag. With NASCAR UFC and golf back, BetOnline already has hundreds of games and events to bet on. Plus, basketball and baseball are coming back this summer. They have live and simulated sports as well as a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge you can enter for free. Visit betonline.ag on your computer or mobile device and check out the action. BetOnline is your online wagering solution. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Fans, welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls Podcast. I'm your host and contributor to the BirdRights.com and Bleacher Report, Preston Ellis. Today, I am super excited because I'm joined by longtime friend of the pod, but far too infrequent a visitor. I don't, I don't even know the last time you've been on the on the podcast, honestly. The man who battles with autocorrect <laughs> pretty much daily, Mr. <laughs> Jamal Dunn. What's going on, man? Oh, nothing much, man. It's good. Yeah, I mean, last time I was on. Um, I think it was, well, we still had a season. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so that there was that I had left my home. Uh, you know, I was leaving my home every day back then. Uh, now not as much, but, uh, but everything's been pretty good. Glad to be back. Different times, man. I don't know how we're going to explain this a generation from now to our kids. Let's, let's go over to his cohort today. And the man who's been making the rounds this past week on multiple different platforms. You're so popular, Mr. Mm. Christopher Connor. What's going on, man? Um. The only thing I'll say is headphones and ear and drinking hand, man. Everything's good. <laughs> my mother-in-law is here, so I'm on my best behavior. But when she goes to bed around 10 o'clock, that's when the bubblies come out. Uh, let's <laughs> Before we talk, yeah, what are you guys drinking right now? Uh, I am drinking a red wine called Cupcake that my wife likes. But my wife is, uh, my wife is actually a little bit more than five months pregnant, so I've been just killing her wine collection. So, uh, so she can't drink. So, hey, man, that's amazing. Is this your first? Uh, yes, my first, and it's my first two. They're twins. What? Get out, yeah. man! How did we not know about this? That's amazing. I think I put it in the uh, in the little writers group chat. I don't know. It was a while ago, though. So. Oh my God, dude, that is absolutely incredible. So let's start with Jamile because you have such great news and because I haven't had you in a while. Uh, we start on a great note, but uh, things are going to get somber pretty quick uh, with the tragedy surrounding George Floyd. Sorry, there's no real way to just pivot into this discussion. So I'm just going <laughs> to hardball right into it. We've got George Floyd, peaceful protests, police violence being increasingly available via video. We've got a president who preached, if they loot, we shoot. We have players, celebrities, donors, movements. Seemingly, everybody's taking part in this movement. Jamal, talk about what's happening right now. Is this already the most important moment of our generation? Uh, it feels like it. It, feel, it definitely feels like it. Um, just from the perspective of, you know, sort of a black male, um, you know, and, and Chris can, I'm sure, speak to this as well. Like, in our community, we've been talking about this for ever, pretty much, Um but it always felt like the larger community, um, even friendly faces, didn't quite get it. Hello, Drew Brees. Um, and so now we're kind of at a point where you're starting to see people understand 
Right? This is an issue um, that needs to be seriously addressed, um, you know, or people continue to be, um, you know, being abused and things along those lines. Um, but I've never seen the the widespread, um, the wide, I don't even have a word for it. I want to say widespreadedness, but that's not a word. Um, it can't be today. But, Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never seen it as widespread as it is now in terms of the sentiment. And I think um, the sort of intolerance of people being intolerant, right? So like your 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 point of view, which um, for instance, Drew Brees, right? What he said on Yahoo Finance uh, last week was the exact same thing he had been saying since 2017 when the whole Kaepernick thing started with him uh, doing his kneeling protest uh, for, police, for police brutality. The exact same thing Brees said, but now the world in general was not willing to tolerate that because, you know, it was obvious that, you know, the protest was not about the flag. Nobody's trying to tear down the flag. It was, um, it's a point where you, when you do your protest, you have to do it when people are looking. There's no point in protesting in your living room because nobody can see you or understand what you're talking about. So you have to do it when eyeballs are on you and the national anthem did happen to be a good time for that. Uh, but you know, a lot of people pretended that, you know, it was about destroying the flag or against the troops or something. Um, and, you know, many people back then felt it was disingenuous, but people just kind of let it slide and now it's not sliding anymore. So, I don't know. We'll see if this gets backed up with, you know, political action, but it does seem like there's more groups that are more serious about it now um, outside of the black community, because, you know, if people are racist against you, you can't stop it, right? It's not necessarily your issue per se. You're just the one being impacted by it. So um, I'm optimistic, but we'll see where it goes. Now, we didn't touch on this topic with uh, Ali and David in our conversation a few days ago, but I want to bring it up with you, Chris, because I, I think that this is just one in many bullet points of what's occurring right now that we're going to look back on and remember. And Jamal just mentioned Drew Brees, and I think what happened with Drew Brees is very important because he is such a, a symbol, the golden boy, the savior of New Orleans, uh, coming in from Katrina and leading the, the Saints back to relevancy after going 3-13, and 13. Uh, one of the storied quarterbacks of our generation, if not all time. Uh, he misspoke. He put his foot in his mouth. He made a giant mistake. Uh, he was rightfully rebuked and criticized for it. But it also cast a light um, that that it's not all just bad people who have racist points of view, racist thoughts, or or maybe just misunderstandings, if you want to clarify it in that respect. There, there are people who who don't have the correct way of thinking, who need to be corrected. And he became a poster boy for that. He became a shining example of that. And you saw a lot of uh, leaders in the African-American uh, community emerge and call him out on it and step into that limelight, step into that spotlight, uh, like Malcolm Jenkins, like Demario Davis, like Shannon Sharp. What kind of a moment was that uh, from the African-American community? Did you see that as an important one? Well, I think it's a, it's a very important one because I think a lot of people well, I won't say I won't say a lot of people because we because we've seen uh, those that have been kind of waiting in the shadows to use this example to say I told you about about Drew Brees that were that were 100 percent right. Um, and I mean, for example, Grub was one of them who had you know who Kevin Kevin as well that has kind of you know been on this stance for a while that you know while Drew may not be an evil person, he is not what the state of Louisiana and the world wants to crack him up to be. And I think what makes this so pivotal is that a lot of people were surprised by it. 
And, you know, it's kind of it's kind of sad, but it shows that, you know, we hear we read what we want to. We look at people um, a lot of times based off of what we would like them to be versus what they actually are. And, you know, Jamal brought up the point that, you know, hey, you know, he made these comments back in 2016 when the kneeling first happened, um, along with a bunch of other you know, organizations that Drew has been has been tied to and whatever you feel about his values being a 40 year old white man from Texas. But, you know, he kind of, you know, he told you who he was back in 2016. A lot of people chose to brush it off to the side, ignore it because he wasn't the only person uh, washed up with that line of thinking. But now with you seeing more and more support and more, let's call it what it is, white people and brown people coming out to the, to the fold and say, all right, you know what? We haven't been listening before. We need to listen now. Um, Drew was no longer, you know, I mean, his, his similar standpoint, it had become and turned sour. It had now turned from, he has every right to say that to the majority of people saying that's ignorant. And I think, um, I think that's, you know, that's very important because we know the influence that people like Drew has and not only is it, is it important from what, how the world got a chance to see it, it's important because going forward, you have an opportunity to change the way that this man thinks at an age of 40, which he can easily be stubborn and say, this is how I see things. I am not changing and I am not adjusting. This is the way that I'm going to be and I'm not moving. You have a chance to change his life. And with the influence that he has, it can help what we're trying to do as black people going forward make no mistake about it you know we can go out and protest and say you know and, and put up as many signs as we want and you know say as many things as you know that have been repeated over and over uh through the test of time but until you have people in higher places until you have people that have influence and people that don't necessarily look like us in a country where we are outnumbered by millions it does not hold the same value. And a guy like Drew Brees, if he is genuine and truthfully going going onto this side and being somewhat of an advocate, um, I mean, it's it's as pivotal and and, and powerful as um, as something that uh, well as many things as, that we've seen over time. But it could really uh, start a change in a rebellion going forward. And I mean, hopefully, it's right, and hopefully, more people like him, you know, uh, can you know can come out and you know, be similar to what we hope that he's going to be going for it. Yeah, for sure. There's this element uh, on social media, as there's always been with with kind of a uh, witch hunting, you know, searching for those who have done wrong or who you can catch doing wrong. But it's also pivotal that when you do find them like Drew Brees, turning him and opening up his his state of mind and improving it uh, can can create something good going forward. And I'm, I'm going to uh, switch topics briefly, Jamal, but feel free to touch on that one. Uh, there's so much to tackle. As a white man, I, I get kind of overwhelmed. Uh, of course, there's George Floyd and there's police brutality, which is kind of in the forefront of the conversation right now. But then you've got so many other instances of inequality from education to health to wealth. I did some research of the uh, 621 billionaires in America. Only five of them are non-white. It's just truly incredible numbers that reflect our society as as if, if, if you're speaking to a white man in terms of where to start to, to make a difference, to make a change, of course, all of you know that we're trying to do our part. We're creating scholarships for young African-Americans. But in terms of what we can do outside of that, where's a good place to start? Uh, well, I would say, you know, with the people 
people around you, right? Because, you know, when you look at something like racism, like, look, just as a everyday person, you know, you know, a white person, you know, for instance, just as an everyday person, of course, you're not going to necessarily be able to make political change by yourself or anything like that, you, although you can be a part of a larger movement. But I would say the biggest thing anybody can do is within their own circle of, of people around them, right? I mean, I've got lots of white friends and sometimes they'll, you know, and this was before, you know, any of this stuff happened, but, you know, we'd be talking in a conversation, they would tell me, oh, yeah, I've got a, you know, so-and-so, you know, is, uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, racist or he, he's got, you know, some prejudiced views against this group or that group. And just kind of, I'm not saying you got to preach to everybody, but just checking people when they actually say those things. Don't just let the crazy uncle be the crazy uncle unchecked um, and let them understand that, you know, look, I can't necessarily change how you think, but it's not okay. And if enough people do that, um, then we may have progress. Uh, we may have progress overall, right? There's that famous quote that the only thing necessary for evil or triumph is when good men do nothing, right? So um, I think it's a larger sort of understanding that I think a lot of uh, our white friends really have kind of a, you know, they're not racist. And so they feel like, okay, well, that's, that's it. You know, I'm doing my part and that is good, right? If you're not racist yourself, but if you see it um, and you hear, or you hear other people, you know, saying things or doing things that are, are in that vein, uh, then you have to call it out. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I was talking to one of my old college professors. I had lunch with him not too long ago. And he was, he works at the, uh, I shouldn't say this, but he works at the Federal Reserve, right? It's a central bank of the United States. Um, and he was telling me that they, uh, in their hiring process, um, they didn't use, they didn't recruit at, at HBCUs at historically black, black uh, colleges. And not only that, um, when they had, you know, had a, a few black candidates for some different roles that they had, um, one of the people running one of the pro, um, you know, departments that was hiring, you know, basically made a veiled comment about the types of people that they hired, right? Um, and, you know, he was telling me that, you know, they kind of got into an argument about it. And so, and that's, and I'm not saying get an argument at work. I'm just saying those are the types of things, you know, where, where it rises up. And a lot of times, a lot of people in that situation at work would just be like, all right, well, I guess we'll go with, you know, the other guy. Um, and that'll just be it, even though it may be against their own taste. Uh, but kind of calling it out wherever you see it in your own life, I think would be the most helpful because it just, in the same way that Drew Brees realized that the way that he was thinking about it and being so stubborn and making it about the flag when it really wasn't, the way that he was doing that, um, until he got called out on it, I guarantee you if we didn't, if there wasn't that inflammatory response he would show up to training camp saying the exact same thing, right? He wasn't going to have some come to Jesus in between now and then if nobody said anything. But the fact that people stepped up and said, hey, man, this is not about the flag. It never was. You can still respect the flag um, and, and also understand what's going on with the protests. Um, and so in that same way, you can do that in your own life where you see it because white people are generally going to hear it. Like we see a lot of racist stuff or whatever and recognize it. But you guys are going to see and hear more than we are because there's certain things people aren't going to say when we're around. So that would be my comment on it.
That was great stuff, man. I think I'm going to make an excerpt of that and and post that on Twitter for everybody to see just so they can get a glimpse of this podcast. Uh, Chris, uh, I, I want to ask you a similar question. Uh, just talk about what's going on in the state of Chicago. I, I know uh, some of the streets have gotten barricaded. Um, just tell us about some of the developments of that. How have you personally been affected by everything uh, taking place in that city? Well, I, I mean, the first the first thing here that, that I guess hits closer to home is that uh, I am dating a, a Latino woman. And for those that hadn't been paying attention to what was happening in a small town called Cicero, Illinois, if you don't know how, like, the the state closest, well, within the state, bordering Chicago is a lot of small townships and, and cities, but, you know, they're all close. They're all within 20 minutes of pro- proximity to the actual city of Chicago. You know, it's just how the, how the area has been built. But within those, with, within those bordering areas and small towns, there are a lot of, you know, different, different areas that are, you know, exclusively pretty much built around a community of, of individuals. I mean, if you want to look at it, I mean, I'd say that the area that I live in is probably one of the most segregated areas that I have seen in regards to you have, I mean, we have a whole area, of course, called Chinatown. You have Cicero, Little Village, and a few other places that I'm that I'm forgetting right now that are pretty much exclusive to uh, Latinos, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans. And then you have certain suburban areas that are that are mainly white with a few black people mixed in. And then of course you have a bunch of a bunch of different um, inner city areas that are manifested or surrounded with people that look like me, black folks, and with some Latinos and Hispanics mixed in as well. Well, Cicero is mainly it's mainly a Latino neighborhood. It's mainly a Latino city. That's you know they have a bunch of stores that 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 their people put together that their people built uh, from from top to bottom. Looting, protests, it didn't it it protesting it didn't it didn't matter pretty much where where it was in the, throughout the state lines throughout the city. It was you were pretty much going to be surrounded by it. It didn't it didn't matter. Nobody was being um, nobody was was being forgotten about throughout this throughout this time. So um basically through through the rage there was a few different different stores that were that were owned by Mexicans, owned by Puerto Ricans that were hit. And as a community of Latinos, they pretty much wrapped their arms around the community members and they decided to protect their stores. They they decided to protect their streets, their areas, their homes. And it just, it just, it got, it got really bad. Now, on the other side of, you know, um, on the other side of, of these, these areas that are, that are surrounded by Hispanics, you have lower income African-American areas that are maybe about five minutes apart. They're that, they're that close. Well, when you're that close and it eventually becomes some sorts of, some sort of pain, you eventually become angry everything that's happening you become defensive well you become defensive and you have i mean i'd say uh you know a, a mixture of elements that can bring a race war and for a week 
So just about a week, that's what we were experiencing, about 15 minutes away from my job. Um, Latinos that felt like they were being attacked, they were gonna protect everything that they had. And blacks, some whites, that were some that were looking to protest, others that were looking to take advantage of the situation, and others that were pissed off that Latinos weren't, weren't on their side. And it just all hell broke loose. So at my job, we ended up, well, I, I, I work at a car dealership and we ended up closing down due to protests, rioting, and just, you know, due the, the, you know, the threat of violence. There were a lot of bordering cities that ended up being, being shut down and having an early curfew. And it was a little bit different from some of the things that people saw happen downtown with like a lot of the stores being broken into. There wasn't as much violence, even though the cops were the cops were out there. I saw some some armed forces that were there as well as time went on. But the situation by me, it ended up becoming pretty violent. People were afraid for their lives. They, you know, if you didn't if you didn't fit a certain profile, you run through some of these neighborhoods, you know, you had a chance of being pulled out. A couple of people did end up dying. Other, others went to hospitals. There were houses being broken into. It got, it got really bad. And, you know, it put, kind of put my girlfriend in a, in a weird spot because, you know, she understands where we're coming from. You know, uh, she has a lot of people in her, in, in, in her community that may not, in which she's trying to have to explain to them a situation that they may not fully get right now. Um, so, you know, that can bring tension. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, it, when it's, when it's all said and done, it just, it was a weird time last week, you know, I mean, trying to, you know, hope for, hope for peace, but understanding that voices needed to be heard. Um, it just, it was extremely weird. It was, it was extremely weird in, from my perspective in the area in which that I lived in, while I looked at other places that I felt like points were getting, they were getting put across in uh, ways that were being um, respected in a way. Uh, it just felt like with some of the violence and the things that were, that were happening, people ran with that versus some of the other positive things that you know, were happening in other parts of the city. Yeah, sensationalism uh, at its finest. Everybody wants to define the most radical story rather than uplifting the most positive one. Number one, I'm just glad you guys are safe. Uh, how scary, how frightening, and how uncomfortable that in 2020 um, you guys are having to deal with this, especially so close to home. So I'm glad you guys are safe, um, and and I pray that you guys don't have to deal with this going forward. And uh, has life kind of returned to normal? You're you're going back. You went to work today. Yeah, um, we. I think as of as of Thursday, we've been able to operate at full at full hours, so uh, we're good again. I don't. I think the actually one of my brothers lives in one of the one of the areas that are that are mainly uh, it's, it's kind of a mixture of of uh, Latino and Black, but it's notoriously known for being a, a Latino made neighborhood. I actually rode over there last last Sunday to work out with them. And I mean, the streets were open. There weren't really any cops out there. There were no people outside with guns or checking cars or anything in traffic. So um, it looks like it looks like things are fine. And then there was actually a black and I mean, um, a black and brown uh, unite uniting kind of peace protest that was put in um, that was put in place last night in another Latino neighborhood by the name of Pilsen that seemed to go pretty well. And that was good to see. Uh, to kind of, you know, remember that 
I, I mean, when it's all when it's all said and done, especially especially in those in those type of neighborhoods, what type of people that come from them, uh, you know, we should be standing together. And I think that I was really happy to see that message being put out again. So I think after that, I think slowly we we're going, you know, we're getting back to normal and getting back to the root of the problem. And um, yeah, man, I mean, that's good to see. I'm glad you guys are okay and that things uh, look like they're trending upwards, hopefully. Uh, no way to make a hard pivot, so I'm just going to dive right on, on in. Uh, thanks to Christopher, Jamal, everybody who comes on the podcast. 100% of our uh, podcasts over the next two months are going to go to our Armchair Media Creative Scholarship. Uh, I'm also doing a personal donation myself, as well as some of our listeners. Ryan Anders, 36, Music is My Refuge. Thank you both so much. Ralph Malbro, Andrew Juge as well. The criteria is super simple. African-American, under 21, in some kind of creative field, all you have to do to apply is email a graphic design, uh, any form of photography, writing, audio, video, journalism, creative writing. You don't have to be in college. We're just looking to help somebody who's who's trying uh, to get a little bit of help with their career path in some kind of creative fashion. You'll just email scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. That's scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. Uh, we're going to make a hard pivot to Pelicans Talk. If you guys want to come back and talk about this at any time and bring on somebody else, doesn't it can be me, it can be Grub, Ali, Kevin, whoever you want, please. Uh, the invitation is open. For now, let's talk about Pelicans. Uh, we, we've done some writing, some articles this week. I know Christopher wrote about uh, – Josh Hart last week coming off the bench. I wrote about Jackson Hayes. Jamile, uh, we know how good the starters have been when they've been healthy and when they've been together. But when when rubber meets the road with these eight pivotal games, the Pelicans are going to need a bench. We don't know uh, the logistics of what's going to happen with the pandemic, if anybody's going to get pulled out. Injuries, of course, are a concern with games taking place seemingly on every other day. Who are you relying on most off the bench for the Pelicans in this capacity? Um, I mean, I would I would say it would have to be Etwan Moore, um, Etwan Moore, and uh, and I guess also Nicolo Melli. Um, with with Moore, you know, obviously he's a guard, and the reason I, I I say Moore is just because, you know, during the regular season they were kind of working in, um, you know, uh, Frank Jackson, who you know is my you know you guys know I love Frank Jackson, but they were working <laughs> in Frank Jackson. Uh, working in Nikhil Alexander-Walker even earlier in the season. And now at this point, we're basically in the playoffs, right? So the, at least from the Pelican standpoint, as soon as they tip, they're in the playoffs. Like it, there is no time to like warm up and see who's who fits where and all this kind of good stuff. Uh, they're just going to have to go with the guys who they know they can count on in a big moment um, in late season basketball. And each one obviously is a vet. He's been around for a long time. Uh, can shoot, can uh, make the right pass at the right time within the offense, and just kind of play within himself. Uh, so I think he's going to be a big, uh, a big piece. And Melly, who as the season went along, right when when we started, he was a little bit shaky, but as we went along, he got a lot better defensively. Um, he was always pretty good, uh, a pretty good passer. But you know, as he learned his teammates, he got even better in that, uh, in that department, and has already kind of earned respect from NBA defenses as a shooter. So he's got a little gravity with him. Um, so I, I would say Etwan Moore and Nicolo Melli, uh, I would be very surprised if we saw any of Nikhil Alexander-Walker unless there's a blowout. Um, you might get a little Frank Jackson if, if you know, one of the guards, you know, if, if all the guards need a blow for some reason or you're doing something different with the lineup. 
Uh, I could see that as well. But I, I pretty much think it's going to be the starters, um, you know, J.J. Reddick, Hart, uh, Etuan, and Nicolo Melli. Um, and, and that's just basically going to be it. They don't have time for anybody else. Uh, I was talking about this today with David Grubb on 1280 AM's Hard in the Paint. Make sure you guys check that out. I think it's from 10 to 12 every day uh, Central Time. Um, And we were talking about some of the uncertainty surrounding some of these free agents, Chris. Of course, the Pelicans have to make a decision on Etuan Moore this summer. Ken Rich Williams is a restricted free agent. Uh, uh, Jaleel Okafor is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Frank Jackson is a restricted free agent. Do you think those impending decisions uh, might instigate the Pelicans to play these guys a little bit more, a little bit sooner because of their impending free agency? Or do you think they should rather stick with the guys that they know they have locked up? I, I think you're probably best at, in this case, when we're considering the players that, that were mentioned, um, the impact that they can probably give you, I, it's, I don't think it's large enough to where you would spend a, a large amount of time or you would sacrifice the minutes or time of some of your other guys and trying to win basketball games to get yourself into a playoff situation. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I would say, you know, you're going with the guys that you know you're going to have long-term, unless you feel like some of these other guys are going to not only help you win basketball games right now, but they could possibly be a piece going forward. Um, out of those players that we, you know, you know, that you named, I mean, uh, you know, the only the only one that I can really that I can really see that I would be interested in, personally speaking, would probably be someone like like a like a Kenrich Williams, uh, mainly because of his size, uh, you know, the hustle that he brings. He's a low maintenance type of player. And I, I mean, you know, we've we've seen him be able to help you help put together winning basketball type plays winning basketball you know things that translate to wins long term even if when he was playing well earlier in the season because of the team was so banged up they weren't necessarily winning a bunch of games but we know guys like him effort guts uh glue guys they help you beat good basketball teams and bad teams as well but the problem with kenny of course is is his ability to knock down open shots and provide you anything offensively um, I'm interested to see what he can do because they, they don't have an assortment of guys that are, that are his size. I mean, they have guys that are, that are his height in that six, five, six, 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 seven area, but none of them really weigh over, over what, 190 outside of, I believe, Josh Hart, you know, so, um, you know, he might be a guy that, uh, I would like to see gather some minutes, but when you're talking about Frank Jackson, each one more while each one may be able to help you from a veteran standpoint, um, you know, make some, make some key plays. If we're talking about a playoff situation, I don't know if he's a part of the, the landscape going forward when you look at what they're going to need. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the guys that you want to invest in, I luckily enough are the ones that are currently supposed to, or scheduled to be on your team going forward. And I mean, you know, they're your best players right now to go with that. You know, some of them are all two, three, four years in, into their career. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a benefit for them. What's up, guys? Let's talk about our title sponsor, betonline.ag. With NASCAR, UFC, and golf back, BetOnline already has hundreds of games and events to bet on. Plus, basketball and baseball are coming back this summer. 
They have live and simulated sports as well as a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge you can enter for free. Visit betonline.ag on your computer or mobile device and check out the action. BetOnline is your online wagering solution. Yeah, 100% uh, talked about Grub. Uh, and Jamal mentioned this. Uh, I think you both did. Nikhail Alexander-Walker, you've got him locked up, uh, so you don't necessarily need to see him. It, it'd probably make more sense to see Etwan Moore and Frank Jackson just to see if they're part of the future. Uh, but then when you get into the front court, Jamal, at some point you're going to have to see some of Jaleel Okafor and Jackson Hayes. We don't know what kind of shape Derek Favors will be in. Injuries are a concern. COVID's a concern. Uh, foul trouble will be a concern. At some point, inevitably, you'll think you'll have to get minutes from one of those bigs. If if it is a playoff atmosphere, which one of those two do you trust? Honestly, it's more of a matchup thing. Um, it depends, right? Like, if it's it's tough because neither of them are great defensively. At least Jackson gives you maybe a little more in terms of rim protection when he's actually in the right place, which is rare. But, um, <laughs> but, but you know, he does give you at least athleticism on the, and especially on the offensive end. He'll run the floor and make the other bigs work. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the the trade off that you get with him. Uh, with Jalil. Not good defensively, and you know he does have one good skill offensively. But you know, are you really going to be running a bunch of post ups with him? I don't know, but I could see Jalil playing more if we run into a large center or or, or some type of you know a really big player uh, on the front line for some team that Jackson. You know, he's kind of struggled with some of the bigger um, or some of the stronger big men in the league. So I think they'll actually both probably play right it'll be just like in the regular season where you know favors is, is tired and you know maybe melly or one of the other bigs is not a good uh is not a good matchup for whatever big, uh, center is on the floor so you just kind of have to roll one of those guys and it's uh it's a weak point for the team right now and there's not you know there's no fixing it at this point they'll just have to kind of solve it on a game-by-game basis based on the matchups and what they need on, on you know particular possessions on which one they're going to play. But I think both of those guys are going to play. Uh, now, Chris, I'm going to follow up with this, and I'm going to add a monkey wrench in here. Uh, Grub brought this up today, and I never really considered it. Darius Miller might actually be ready to play. We've seen some of those Instagram videos that Coach Mike G posted. Uh, he was doing full <laughs> wind sprints two months ago. So if the Pelicans do want to go small, if we get into one of these situations where, you know, Favors has to take a seat and you slide Zion to the five and maybe put a four in next to him and play small ball, do you think there's a chance we might see Darius Miller? Well, I think that if you can, anytime you can add a little bit of size and shooting to this team, you take that opportunity. So while Darius may not be the, he may not be the, the best defender. I don't, you know, he's not a, he's not a three and D guy just yet. He, he does, he does go out there and try and give and give effort. Uh, he's not, he's not known for having much lateral quickness and he's not, an, you know, an exceptional athlete, but he does have a pretty decent basketball IQ. And I think he can, you know, he can go out there and give you some positive plays on that end. And then offensively, as long as, he has a battery in his back that's telling him to shoot when he's open, similar to what we saw in Nikola Melli. If he's out there letting it fly, uh, we've seen him have some positive moments from that from that area as well. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. If Darius is healthy, I mean, I think he was going to play a decent amount of minutes uh, for this team at some point, especially with how 
Alvin can be with the rotation. Maybe not as many minutes that would say leave a Josh Hart out of the rotation. Somebody will get that, <laughs> some won't. But um, I think I think it's enough to offer this team what they're what they're you know what they're going to need floor spacers for your guys like Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, and Zion to be able to penetrate and kick out when needed. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think Darius could see some minutes. But anybody can see minutes in Alvin Gentry's uh, system. I mean, it's just how it rolls. I mean, if you have the if you have a nice haircut one day, maybe that, that probably won't work in Darius Miller's favor. But if you if you have a nice haircut one day, Alvin might throw you in. So, but I think Darius fits. All right, uh, Jamal. Let's talk about some winners and losers from the Pelicans resuming to play. These eight games are going to prove pivotal, uh, not just for guys trying to earn, you know, rotation minutes going forward, but also guys in line for a potential payday. We've got some extension eligible veterans in Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart. Uh, we've got guys like Brandon Ingram who are almost assuredly going to earn the max. Uh, let's talk about some guys who could be potential winners if they ball out. Who would be the biggest uh, in your estimation? Did we lose Jamal? Jamal, uh, can you? No, 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 I was just on mute. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Auto The anticipation. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, all right. So, I, but I would say Josh Hart to answer your question because, and the reason for that is most of the other guys who in, who have any type of contract implications on on the rest of the season are going to get what they're going to get. Ingram's going to get the max. Uh, Holiday will get, you know, some giant contract. I don't know if it'll be a max, but it'll be, you know, big. Um, and that's down the road a little bit. And Ball, I think, will get, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of max. Um, just because he's such a high pick, those guys just basically almost always get, um, you know, that young veteran max. But uh, Josh Hart is a guy who, you know, his kind, his next contract could go either way, right? I mean, if I fast forward it, uh, if I fast forward it, you know, six months and I told you, you know, Josh Hart signed an extension worth, you know, seven and a half million a year, you'd probably believe me. If I told you that he signed an extension worth 11 million a year uh, or ended up signing with another team for, you know, a big price tag like that, you'd also probably believe me because he brings a lot of value. He makes a lot of, Chris talked earlier about Darius Miller making, um, not Darius Miller, I'm sorry, Kendrick Williams making, you know, uh, some winning type plays. Well, Josh Hart is that on steroids, right? He's always, you know, grabbing rebounds, out route rebounds for his size, makes timely shots, not scared of the moment, you know, plays, you know, good defense, and is just a team guy. So, um, I, you know, really he was one of the losers of, because he was having such a good season as a role player. Um, so he was kind of one of the losers with uh, with everything getting shut down. Uh, and probably that, you know, maybe have uh, impacted his eventual contract that he'll sign. Um, but if if he plays well and if, say, the Pelicans actually make the playoffs and they get even more time, you know, we've seen time and time again role players who get exposure in the playoffs and, you know, play well get paid, right? We can go all the way back if we want to stick with Pelican slash Hornets. Uh, Don't do Kobe, it. Right? Don't you do it. I knew, oh, I knew you would do it. <laughs> James Posey had that great series with the Celtics um, when they were in the playoffs. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the Pelicans signed him for a huge contract 
And then we mm-hmm. eventually backdoor and do the exact same thing with Solomon Hill, right? Josh Hart. Oh my of- God! Oh, <laughs> that hey, that's the track record. <laughs> that's who we're dealing with. But but for that reason, you know, Josh Hart is a better player than both of those guys. Um, and so if he does play well in playoff situations, I could see that really hiking his price to the level where it could potentially, given everything else the Pelicans have to deal with from a compensation standpoint, could push him sort of out of their price range and, you know, maybe end up, you know, having to trade him or something like that. I'm going to let you answer the same question, Chris, but before I do that, let's just say that Josh Hart (laughs) does overperform, you know, shoots 40% from three scores, like 12 to 15 points a game, gets seven to eight boards a game plays, you know, pretty good uh, to lock down defense. Does that all of a sudden make Drew Holiday expendable? No, no, not necessarily. I don't, I don't think so because, you know, we know, we know that even, even at Josh Hart's best, what Drew offers you and what Josh offers you are two, you know, are two different things. And no matter, you know, I think even if, at Josh's best, I don't think he's the defender that that Drew Holiday is. Um, you know, he may be a better shooter, but he he also can't create for himself in a half court style or or in half court situations like um, like Drew Holiday can. So I mean, I you know, I mean, you'd be. Um, I don't think that's necessarily possible unless unless we see um, unless we see Brandon Ingram. I mean, we know. I mean, I, I think he's a star now. But if he comes out and he's superstar level, you know, then maybe maybe that that changes. Because I've been on the boat to where I don't think you can pay Drew Holiday the type of money you're paying him now long term with with about with, with a lot of the other guys you have to pay. But I mean, when we're talking Josh Hart. I think no matter what Josh does, his value, you know what his value is. I think it's the other guys around around this team that will kind of determine what you do with Drew Holiday, or if that makes him more expendable, right? If Lonzo Ball is attacking the paint more and kind of taking some of that, some of the, uh, you know, the penetration responsibility away from Drew, um, you could maybe look there. You know, if, if, if they're able to, uh, if, and same with Zoe, if Brandon Ingram becomes a better defender in the perimeter, if he's able to fight off of screens better, then maybe you look at it there. But Drew's too important to your team right now to base that off, you know, to, to say that what Josh Hart can, to really compare it off of whatever Josh Hart does. I think that there's other guys on this team that can kind of make that decision a little bit easier than Josh would be able to. All right, so let's follow that up with uh, biggest potential winners you think facing these eight games. Uh, like we said, Drew's extension eligible, Josh, Lonzo Ball, uh, Brandon Ingram's a free agent, Frank Jackson, Kenrich Williams. Uh, who do you think is going to be the biggest winner, and who do you think the Pelicans would like to be the biggest winner? Mm, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I think the Pelicans would like did – you, did you mention Derek Favors? No, I just assume, regardless of how Derek Favors plays, just because of their uh, the yeah. minimal flexibility this summer, he's going to come back, and it's going to be somewhere around a price range of like ten to fifteen million annually, maybe a year or two. Uh, but I, I think it's in both parties' interest to make that deal. Okay, so so um, I mean, I, I think the Pelicans would like to see Brandon Ingram uh, be be the guy that that's a that's a big time winner. I think based off of based off the type of dude that he is, the work ethic that he puts in, how much they talk about him, David Griffin has been 
very open, even before we saw Brandon have some of his breakout breakout games and really, really show what he can be offensively on the floor. David Griffin was talking about the fact that they wanted him around long term. And as the season progressed and we saw him have games in which he beat teams by himself, he should have had a buzzer beater win that, you know, had a fluke call at, at the end by a referee. Sorry, New Orleans, that keeps happening. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, he he solidified where Griffin was standing at on him, if it was if it was 100 percent true. Um, so and it's just it's just hard not to root for guys like Brandon, who doesn't who doesn't talk much, who doesn't, uh, you know, who who isn't on social media heavy, who, you you know, you don't see him outside. He doesn't he's not talking a whole bunch. He's really about basketball. He's a he's he's, he's a throwback in a lot of ways. He just wants to be the best basketball player he can be. And I think, I mean, if you're if you're an executive, if you're David Griffin, if you're a head coach, if you're Gail Benson, those are the guys you want to pay. Because not only do you think that they can they're going to help you win basketball games and be successful, but you're going to get your return on your investment because they won't be a liability. So I think Brandon is the guy that they're rooting for. Um, who do I think will be the biggest winner? Um, man, I really I think it's going to be. I think it's I, I think it's gonna be Lonzo Ball. You know, um I I think that and you know we have to see if his jump shot is what it was, you know, in the, what that last ten to fifteen game stretch where he was shooting just off of the off off the charts and was really changing what people thought about in regards to what he was going to be long term. We started to slowly see people started to throw that Jason Kidd, those Jason Kidd comparisons back into conversation based on the team he's playing with, you know, his uh, his co-partner in, in sorts of, of Zion Williamson, but his overall dedication to improving with that with that staff, Fred Benson. And, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it's going to be Lonzo in these type of situations. You know, uh, we don't know what type of shape people are going to be in. We don't know. Uh, how role players are going to be able to thrive in a situation that doesn't involve uh, fans. I mean, you know, right. I mean, it, it's that, it's that, that old adage that role players play best in, you know, at home. Uh, we don't know what that's going to, what that's going to do to players. I mean, it's going to turn to AAU style of style of basketball. Well, I think in a situation that has so much uncertainty around it from coronavirus scares to, um, you know, just the format in general, and then the quick turnaround afterwards into a whole new season, you need guys that they don't change. They're, you know, they're never too up, they're never too down. And that's Lonzo. Um, if his game and his confidence is where it left off at, which I think it will be for him, he's going to win the most because he's going to have an opportunity to uh, be a part of a of a team that has a good chance, well, I, I, I won't say a good chance, but they have a shot to uh, get into this playing tournament and then, you know, maybe, you know, defy some odds and beat Memphis and get into a, a an, eight, an eight seed battle or an eight an eight one seed battle with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, people want Lonzo to do well. He has a lot of lot of support out there as we all have painfully seen. And, uh, you know, no, you know, his, his, his group of Lonzo stands as we call them. But more than anything, man, he whether the, the team is up 20 or they're down 20, his face doesn't change. You know, I call it, the, you know, the Derrick Rose face. 
you know, he he is completely the same, not a whole bunch of emotion, but that works well in these type of high intensity environments that, you know, are going to bring a lot of pressure. I don't think he's going to shy from the moment. And I think that will help him in this team. It will reflect well on him and help him in regards to uh, his next future contract that I hope is in New Orleans. His last 15 games, he did 14, 8, and 7 on 43.9% from three on six and a half shots per game. Jamal, let's talk about losers. Uh, A lot of guys have a lot at stake. We're not going to classify injuries, although that's got to be a real tangible concern given uh, how aggressive the style will be as soon as everybody gets back. But who's got the most to lose over these final eight games? Oh, man, that's actually a tougher question, right? Because... um... I mean, because they have such a young team, it's hard to say that anybody's really going to be a loser. Um, But if I had to pick one, you know, sort of one person, it would probably, it would probably be someone like a Frank Jackson. uh, Because for for whatever reason, this staff and, okay, I'm a Frank Jackson apologist, right? But... (laughs) You know, at times, even I will admit that he gets minutes when I wouldn't expect him to get minutes. Uh, and I think that this is going to be Frank's last chance with the Pelicans. Uh, he'll, he'll probably latch on with somebody else. But, like, everything we've been talking about is how young this team is and, you know, how many good players uh, that they have on the, on the team. And they're going to need roster spots, right? We look at guys like uh, uh, Didi, who's going to be coming over, the, the player they drafted, um, Last, you know, in the last draft, that, that's been playing uh, overseas, and you know, looks like he's going to be coming over in the off season. And I'm sure there's going to be other pickups that they try to make, whether it's trade or free agents or whatever. So there's just not a ton of space on this roster. But I have a feeling that Gentry and his infinite wisdom will give Frank one more chance uh, uh, to give him, you know, decent minutes. And for Frank, that's like 10 or 12 minutes a game, probably. Um, but of of our players, like I can't see, you know, if Lonzo has a bad has a bad rest of this stretch, you know, people are just gonna say, oh well, you know, they have a long layoff, blah blah blah, whatever. So of the big guys on the roster, I don't think there's a ton of guys who have a, a whole lot to lose. Even Holiday, yeah, he's you know getting closer and closer to to maybe getting a, getting an extension, but you know he's got such a long track record. I don't think you know, a few games at the end of a weird season is going to affect him. But, you know, a guy like Frank Jackson, who will probably get some minutes um, and may not play so well in them, um, I think he's got a lot to lose because if he doesn't play well, you've got Akil coming on your heels. You've got Didi coming in next year. um, And there's just not a lot of space for you anymore. Um, And in the same vein, I think, you know, Kendrick Williams, or Kendrick Williams, who – uh, unfortunately, you know, the injury has really put him behind the eight ball, but you know, he's another guy that if he can't really provide them anything in the playoffs as far as maybe coming in in reserve of Zion or or or, or even at the three uh, in certain uh, in certain sense, uh, then you kind of start looking around with people like Zion Cheatham, you know, deeper on the roster, and you start thinking, okay, well, maybe we've, we've had the Kenrich experience and the Frank Jackson experience and maybe some of these other guys who we've got in the pipeline are going to come up and maybe take their take their spot. So I would say those are the two guys who have something to lose. Um, everybody else, uh, I think they kind of are what they are, and the team has their, you know, already knows what they what those guys bring. 
All right, Chris. Do you foresee any losers if if things go south? I I think it will be completely unfair, but I think Derek Favors could be a guy that loses in this equation. Oh, he's um, definitely a loser, whether they want to lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and and it's it's it comes from so many different areas. Um, I I don't think that Derek Favors is going to be like I don't think. You know, we we joked about the whole untapped potential thing, but I don't know if that has as much to do with favors as it does with the system and and its rent, well, how it's how it's run under under Alvin Gentry. You know, uh, I mean, how many times do we see Derek Favors in the post having his having his defender sealed and just not getting the post? You know, the post looked opportunity. You know, we talked about how uh, in past. I, I think I think you put out an article, Preston talking about how, you know, how Derek's usage is, is the lowest that it's been in, in some time. Uh, his, his, his offensive attempts is the lowest that I think it's been in like three or four years. So he's taken quite the sacrifice uh, coming to New Orleans. Now, I don't know how that would be used against him and what exactly, what type of payday he was going to be up for next season. But I don't think it was going to be $17 million, which is what I, you know, he's getting paid right now. But you know, as the season started to progress, um, we saw Nicola Melli start to play well. And we know that this team, they want to run some small ball lineups with Zion Williamson. Well, that puts Derek Flavors, Derek Flavors, Jesus, Derek Favors <laughs> off the floor. That pushes Derek Favors off the floor. And, you know, it puts in situations where, where the Pelicans, you know, they, they second-guess themselves. You know, I, I, the Houston Rockets game, uh, in Houston, where Houston first started to implement that that small ball five out five out system with uh, PJ Tucker at the center, you know, I mean, that game comes to mind because the Pelicans were doing very well in it when Derrick Favors was playing, and then towards the end of it, they went away from him. They sat him. I don't think he played more than than, than 22, 23 minutes in that game, and they ultimately ended up losing because they fell in love with the three things, got cold. They didn't have anything. They didn't have any type of rim protection that they missed with Derek Favors and some of the other small amount of intangibles that he throws in and doesn't show up on box scores. And um, they ended up losing that game. You know, um, I wonder if things go south and they don't play and they don't play well. You see some you see some elements or, or some games where the spacing is, is a little bit off because they're running more. You know, they're running that that freestyle type of freelance offense versus anything, you know, more versus consistent structure uh, to where Derek is getting, you know, is getting the ball, being able to make a few different plays as we saw before Zion came in, you know, out of the short roll and some of the passes he made that, you know, really helped him get things going right before Williamson returned. But I, you know, I wonder that if they struggle, will some of the pressure from the outside uh, make David Griffin kind of pivot and say, okay, well, maybe we do need, another center that can shoot the basketball to go with Nicola Melli. And I mean, and hell, what happens if, if Nicola Melli gets hot during this stretch and, you know, and they say, okay, well, you know, we definitely need, need someone like Nicola um, or, or I know we've been talking about miles, miles Turner over the year, guys like Sergi Baca, Marcus Gasol, but you know, I wonder, or I worry, and I hope it isn't the case because I like Derek Favors. I'm not one of those guys that believes that you know that you can't win with him as your center because he is an incredibly smart basketball player. He's sturdy. Uh, he's another guy that doesn't that doesn't talk much. He's you know he's very. I think he's very good for a team that wants to win. You know, a championship. 
He's, you know, he does the dirty work. I think he's good for you long term for that group of guys. But, you know, I, I wonder if he doesn't play well or if Alvin is a little bit unsure with, with his rotations or Melly gets hired if they say, you know what, we need another shooter next to Zion. We need another guy that can give you things that Favors doesn't. So I think if there is someone that could lose financially and in regards to their place on this team going forward, you know, I, I wonder if it would be Favors. I just want to state for the record that Frank Jackson is only six months older than Nikhail Alexander-Walker and Derek Favors <laughs> is only six months older than Nicolo Melli. Uh, just wild statistic <laughs> that rookie Nicolo Melli will be 30 years old next year in January, really. So at the at the start of next season, Jamal, yeah. we're about at the hour mark. So go ahead, take us out of here, wrap up. You can follow him at jamdun 6 Are there any foundations that you'd like anybody to investigate or is there anything Pelicans related you'd like to sign off on? Uh, yeah, I mean, one one thing I haven't seen that was a part of the conversation, maybe it's been out there and I haven't heard it, is the Pelicans thing. But it's really, you know, we're about to go into a very strange uh, end of the season playoff run. Like, we all know how NBA teams work. Normally, when they first get started, there's like a feeling out process. Now, these teams have been together, so you would think that wouldn't be as big of a deal, but also with COVID out there, there's going to be the potential for a very strange champion, right? And and there's also going to be a potential for teams that you wouldn't normally think, um, you know, would be contenders to maybe make a deep run. Like imagine, you know, say the Pelicans sneak into the playoffs in the eighth in the eighth spot, and they're playing the Lakers, um, and then we get breaking news that LeBron James is out with COVID, you know. Um, things like that can and probably will. I'm not saying specifically with LeBron, but it will happen to players, but some players um, throughout this, this time period, right? And so, you know, if something like that were to happen, you could end up with a very strange uh, champion or a very just strange playoff uh, because especially in the West, you only really have two teams that, that are kind of juggernauts um, in the, uh, or at least juggernauts for the rest of the conference in the Lakers and the Clippers. Everybody else, uh, when you talk about the Nuggets or or uh, or the Jazz, the Thunder, the Rockets, the Mavs, the Grizzlies, the Blazers, none of those teams that I just named really scare you. It's only those top two. So uh, I think that's something we need to be thinking about. And I'm actually thinking about um, maybe writing something on, like, what would have to happen for the Pelicans to actually win the title in this very strange playoffs that we're about to have? Um, so that's one thing uh, that, that I'm kind of thinking about. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I do have the odds for my bookie on the Pelicans. I think it was like plus 9,000 or something. I'll look that up while I uh, transition over to Chris. Chris, is is there anything you'd like to comment on? And what do you think the likelihood is that there'll be some kind of scandal where uh, a team hides a player like LeBron James' uh, temperature from blowing like a 99.5 in order to uh, get him into a like a, a – critical game six this is professional sports there is no way in hell there will not be some team that is trying to um trying to hide a player that is sick that has symptoms that is affected anywhere has a family member with covid or no no that it's definitely going to happen i i don't think you can you can avoid it as this much, I mean, I mean, I just, I, at this time, I don't think you, you know, you're going to be able to avoid it 
with those with that many that many amount of people, those players in that bubble. Uh, I think it'd be very naive to think that you won't have someone that will end up that will end up getting it and won't know that they have it. Uh, now, I I guess I guess in their in their favor, they're what they're testing. They're going to be testing nightly, uh, so you know, so that will that will help. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I I think somebody will come in contact with with someone that they're not supposed to. I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone try someone secretly tries to leave and come. Like I don't, you know, it just there's so much there's so much uncertainty around around all of this that still has to be talked about. That I'm not at a point to where I don't. I, I believe that this is going to go as smoothly as smoothly as they want to. And that's before even talking about, you know, the fact that numbers are really starting to rise again at these places that have that have opened up. You know, maybe not everywhere, but in but in some places these, you know, these COVID numbers that have, have been opened up recently. And some some due to protests, but others due to them going into phase two, phase three. And it just I I think that it's only it's only a matter of time. And you can't tell me that if a player, if a star player especially a team in a situation like the Lakers who desperately pushed for this to happen. So LeBron would have an opportunity at his age to win a championship, whether people counted it with, the, with an asterisk or not. Um, you can't tell me the Lakers are going to say, uh, are going to report and put it out there that, that LeBron has COVID. If they can find a way to hide it, they will do it. This, this will be the first time the NBA has had a scandal. And um, I don't think that it is going to be just one team involving one player. I think it'll be multiple teams that will be involved. Uh, the NBA is going to do whatever they can to try to, uh, you know, make this go as smoothly as possible because they're one of the first organizations to kind of give this thing a go. Um, I think, you know, they'll be, they'll be on live before baseball figures anything out and they'll be on before football and everything. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I could definitely see that happening. All right, you can follow Chris Connor at Impatient Bull. I'm going to ask one more just because I think it'll be fun. Jamile, it's game one of the play-in tournament. The Pelicans are the ninth seed against the Grizzlies. And you notice on the bench that there's a player missing. All of a sudden, Fox Sports NOLA starts reporting that this said player has been suspended for a week to 10 days because they broke quarantine. Who is this Pelicans player? Uh, this, is, this is absolutely uh, Jackson Hayes. One hundred percent, and we will be treated once he's suspended. Um, once he's suspended, we will get a, be treated to a nice, uh, to a nice, uh, a nice video, lace, lace video <laughs> of him cursing out Adam Silver for suspending him. But one hundred percent is Jackson Hayes. All right. Thanks, guys. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, just retweet, share, rate us on iTunes. Uh, you can always grab somebody else's phone, grab your neighbor's phone. Make sure you wipe it down after. We don't want to spread any germs. Uh, thank you to Mr. Chris Connor, Impatient Bull on Twitter, Jamal Dunn at JamDunn06. Uh, for now, stay safe, stay vigilant. Let's dance. And let's go, Pels. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today